podcast is a little different, and I absolutely loved it. We still have our team leaders taking over this podcast, and Claire Powell took the lead this week with one about Barn Hacks, Tack Tips, and Mental Game Mastery. She is joined by other team leaders, Callie McCoy and Madison Horn, and myself, who just discuss different little tips and tricks and hacks that we use to keep our horses safe, to keep our tack up to date and fed well, and just all of the things that, um, you know, we maybe miss out if we don't have these kinds of conversations and when we learn about the little tips and tricks to make life easier and make competition better and help our mind settle down when we're competing we all gain uh, the advantage and we advance our western industry that much further because at the end of the day we are all in this together and so we want to be a place that we share knowledge that we share experiences and that we continue to support each other so without further ado let's get started with this week's Rodeo Kids podcast episode led by Claire Powell, joined by Callie McCoy, Madison Horde, and Camry Rorta on Barn Hacks, Tack Tips, and Mental Game Mastery. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm from Florida, and I'm on the Rodeo Kids leadership team, and I'm joined by two other girls on the Rodeo Kids leadership team, and we're going to be talking about some horse hacks and the mental side of rodeo, and just some some things and opinions in the horse world. And then we have two other girls with us today, if y'all want to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Madison, and I am from Michigan, and, and I'm also on the leadership team. Hi, I'm Callie. I'm from Texas, and I'm also on the leadership team. Awesome. So we have some opinions and hacks to talk about today. So the first thing is about feeding. So Callie kind of helped us put together a list and it's alfalfa loose versus cubed. So what are y'all, what are y'all's thoughts on that, Callie, if you want to start us out? Okay. So I was just in my barn thinking about, well, what are some things that can kind of be, people have different opinions on and we feed both. So we have alfalfa cubes that we soak in water for an older horse that we have because he can't really chew the actual flake. We have really fine alfalfa. Mm-hmm. And then for our younger horses, we just, we do loose alfalfa. So mm-hmm. I didn't know what other people's opinions were on that or if they kind of used it in the same way. Yeah, I like that. We're, we're the same way. We I give some of our horses loose alfalfa and then some, we do alfalfa pellets. So you don't have to soak them, but I like to soak them just to get some extra water intake in the summer. Yeah, we do both. It's a combo. <laughs> Madison, what about you? Yeah. Yeah, I've never used alpha cubes. We have like really good ground up here, so we, we only use alpha hay. Yeah. I wish we had good ground down here. I'm jealous. Cammy, <laughs> what about used, you? I've used both. When I lived in Texas, I used alfalfa cubes. The one thing that I think is really important to remember if you're using cubes or pellets, I used to use pellets a lot when I traveled just to add extra weight and stuff to the feed. And I did have a horse choke on the, pal- the pellets too. 
So I do think it's important to make sure that you soak them, especially the cubes, because some of those can get really, really hard. And just making sure that just like your regular hay, that you wash those cubes because there is a quality control and you'd like to think that that they do a really good job of that. And for the most part they do, but every now and then it's just important to take a look at that. And one bag might be a little different from the next. So being cautious of that and kind of knowing where the hay that's in the cubes is coming from is important as well, because, you know, if you're importing it from another state or something, you just want to be cautious of that because there's different things in different states. But in Iowa, I'm like Madison, we have pretty good hay. I personally believe that if we can give them, you know, just grass or loose hay from like, that's what God created, in my opinion, and then we can bail it up. And I think that's the easiest for them and the most palatable. And that's just my personal opinion. There's no science behind that. But I do think if you're in areas where it's harder to find good quality bales of alfalfa or hay, and they're really expensive or whatever, if you're traveling, then I do think that the cubes are cubes and pellets are a good substitute. Yes, ma'am. I love that. There's a big controversy over soaking versus not soaking. I say better safe than sorry. <laughs> I definitely would say soak, like whether it's beet pulp or pellets or cubes, I think it's really important to take the time to soak it. Cause just like you said, Claire, like it's better to be safe than sorry. And those things, the reason that we soak them is because they get dehydrated. Um, and so they get dehydrated so that they fit into these tiny little cubes and you don't have to feed as much. But then when a horse starts chewing it up and salivating and stuff, then it's going to expand. And if they don't get it chewed up quite enough and they swallow it with some of the other stuff and there's a bigger chunk in there, then it can expand in their throat. And ideally they're probably not going to choke on it because it will eventually get enough moisture on it, but there's still a chance. Like I said, we had a horse on pellets that we had to call the vet out because it was choking because I didn't soak them long enough. Mm. So definitely better to be safe than sorry. Do you guys use beet pulp? I personally don't. I do not. I've used it once when one of our horses ate a plastic bag, actually. <laughs> so we put like, we did a mix of like mineral oil and beet pulp to get it through, but we don't feed it regularly. Yeah, I don't feed it regularly either, but on horses that are hard to keep or if I'm traveling a lot, like the horse that I used to pro rodeo on, um, he was kind of a hard keeper and adding that beet pulp to his scoop of feed a day just really helped keep him filled out. And so I am a believer in that. I've given it to customer horses and stuff that were hard keepers. And I do think that it can be a really good, cheap additive to your feed that gives them some extra energy. But I don't think you want to just give it to them to give it to them. I think you need to make sure that you have a purpose and a need for that horse to eat beet pulp. I didn't know that about beet pulp. Yeah, me either. Learning a lot. (laughs) Fly spray versus fly boots. Interesting. We have one horse out here, flies don't touch her. It's the weirdest thing. Like flies just aren't attracted to her legs. The astros are all close together. I don't know. It's weird. But one horse, she like her legs look back the time because there's so many flies on them. Like it's just crazy. So I say it just depends on the horse. I'm a fly spray girl, but fly fly boots definitely come handy for certain horses. Yeah. Well, the fly boots only like protect their lower legs and they'll they'll still stop on the ground because nothing's protecting their whole body. Personally, I like fly spray because it protects a larger area of their body. The downfall is they a lot of the fly sprays do have chemicals. A lot of the good fly sprays that actually kills the flies have chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean maybe both. 
because the fly spray you get your whole body their whole bodies only thing is if you keep horses turned out in the summer it's hard to bring them up once a day to get that fly spray because it doesn't last on them very well when they're sweating sweating through it so the fly boots help just keep their legs good I'm a both girl as well I think the more that we can protect them the better I have a palomino horse that's the opposite of yours Claire like the flies just love him and especially his legs and like you can pretty much give him a bath in fly spray and it doesn't hardly touch him so having fly boots on him and I'm also a fan of having fly masks on when you travel and ideally your horse's faces are back far enough that bugs and stuff aren't getting sucked in and whacking them in the eyes and stuff but I still think it's just one extra layer of protection, especially if you're feeding them on the road and there's sawdust in the trailer because that stuff will float around. And so if you can have that fly mask on while you're traveling, I think that really helps keep debris from getting in their eyes and stuff. I'm a big fly mask girl too. I had a friend's horse. She went blind actually because a piece of hay got stuck in her eye and it got infected. So she went blind from that. So I'm like, I'm always have a fly mask on now. Mm-hmm. And I think it can depend on the region that you're in too. You know, if you're, I remember when my brother and sister lived in California, like you didn't have to have your doors closed all the time because there weren't that many bugs. And we were just in Colorado last weekend and they just don't have nearly as many flies and stuff like that because the climate's so much different. And so they don't, it's dry, it's the desert. They don't have as much stuff to eat. So there just aren't as many bugs. So I didn't have fly boots on my horses all week and it didn't really bother them at all. But then as soon as we started heading back home where there's moisture and more bugs, like we made sure to put our fly boots and everything back on because we knew as soon as we pulled them out of the trailer in Iowa, it was going to be hot, it was going to be humid, and the bugs were going to be thick. Yes, for sure. So our next thing is for braiding, rubber bands versus tape. I definitely love tape. I just started using it actually. And to me, it just looks sleeker, but it also stays a lot longer. And it my bands always used to snap. And then it would kind of like make their hair dry. But the tape is just, I love it. I recently switched and I love it a lot. You're going to have to explain this tape thing. I don't know what you're talking about with tape. It's electrical tape. So like at the end of a braid, you just do like a little piece that long of electrical tape instead of a rubber band. Okay. When I read that question earlier, I thought there was like this new thing called braid tape. And I was like, what? I think Dyson may have something called braiding tape. Yeah, but I use electrical. It works awesome. And I'm in the same boat as Claire. I've just within the past few months switched to it because we got some younger horses in that had these gorgeous manes. I'm like, well, I really want to preserve these. And I started looking into Biomane and all that. And I didn't necessarily want to do a supplement, but I wanted to see how they conditioned and what detanglers they used and stuff like that to give their hair the best shot at staying in the condition it was in. And I saw that they opted for tape instead of rubber bands because the bands cause more breakage in the hair just because it's all central on like one point of their hair instead of the tape that distributes that pressure in that way. And I, I mean, that made sense to me. And I switched to it and I found that it stays a lot longer, even through the sweat and washing them after I ride and stuff. And I just have to redo the braids every couple of weeks. And they stay a lot better than bands that have broken on me in the past. Interesting. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. I've never used um, like the tape before. I've only used like the bands, but like, is that, would it like take up a lot more time to like wrap them or no? 
It takes about the same amount of time. You can't do it wet is the only thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like after I bathe them, I wait like 20 minutes and it's dry and then you can go and tape them up. Which I believe, I think at least with human hair, your hair will stretch like 20% more when it's wet than when it's dry. So I think that it's smart whether you're doing rubber bands or you are doing tape to make sure that your horse's hair is dry. Because if you tape or if you braid it up and then put it in a rubber band when it's wet and then it dries and it shrinks back up, you might be risking breakage anyway. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, again, not scientifically based, but I do know that my hairdresser told me that one time. So it makes sense. Hey, it makes sense for me. Yeah. Um, the next thing is in the trailer shavings or just mats. Like, do y'all do no shavings or do you just have like a mat in there? Well, personally, I use shaving. Like, if it's just mats, if in a pure poop, it like it'll be way more slippery for them to stay on. But if you use shaving, they won't slip. I think not using shavings in the trailer will make your horse more like prone. But also, I've heard some people say like the shavings fly up in the air and I've never had that problem like getting the shavings in their eyes on the road but yeah I'm a both fan I like both you gotta put mats down and then put shavings on top of it because like Madison was saying the absorption factor um so that that urine and stuff isn't just running out of your trailer so like you girls live where it's warm pretty much all the time but where we live that urine can turn to ice um if it's really cold so even on a rubber mat, like if it gets slick on top of it, then you still are facing ice in your trailer if it's cold enough. So making sure that you have some shavings down. And also if you have some shavings in your trailer and you're unloading, like we go to some, they're called World's Toughest Rodeos and they're downtown in these cities and stuff and ice hockey rinks and arenas and whatnot. So we're unloading on concrete that might have snow or ice on it. So you can take some of those shavings and kick them out on the ground too, to kind of give a little bit of traction for those horses when they step down onto that concrete or slick surface. I'm a both girl too. Soaks up all the pee and poop and adds extra layer of comfort in the trailer. Yep. What about you, Callie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of situational with us because we go to a lot of things that are just maybe 10 minutes down the road and in those situations, we don't put shavings down in our stock trailer. But then when we've gone to Vegas and stuff, which is, I want to say, 16 or 18 hour drive, we have, we take our stall mats and we put them down in our trailer. And then we put shavings on top of those just to have like as much comfort and absorption as possible on those long drives. Mm -hmm. yeah, and they do have like these specialty floors now that you can put in there that are supposed to have extra cushion in them and stuff and you're not supposed to have to use um shavings on them and they're kind of like rigid they almost look like pea gravel but it's hard and it's really rubbery and cushiony and they say that you don't have to use shavings on those but again I just think about like I want my horse to feel comfortable going to the bathroom when they're on the road and a horse is less likely to go to the bathroom on a hard surface like if they have to pee or something because the splatter's all over the place so I think it's good to have that down there so that our horses aren't holding it or whatever. I just think it's worth it, even if you do have special flooring. Yeah. I recently started using cloud boots. I don't know if y'all have heard of those. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. My horse's legs tend to stock up on long drives and even stalling. And those, those have been a game changer. Yeah. Do you guys wrap your legs when you travel or not? We use back on track boots. A lot of the time, because I have a horse that she back, stocks up in her back legs really mm -hmm. bad. And that's helped with the swelling a lot. 
and then when we go over an hour not in the summer just because it's so hot with those back on track boots but mm -hmm. definitely in the winter oh yeah I don't I don't personally forgot yeah and you use back on track Claire mm -hmm. yeah I just started uh it's helped a lot with or in Texas my horse started swelling and she got injured and all that but we use back on tracks on the way back home and it helped a lot to keep the swelling down. Yeah. I have a trick for your back on track boots so they don't get sweaty on the way home. I used to use, I had, I don't use them right now. Like the horses that I have right now, haven't really needed them. And uh, so I've been pretty confident with not having those on, even though I probably should start using them again for long travels, long trips. Uh, but what I used to do during the summer months, especially because like you were talking about, the cover of the back on track, like the actual pillow that you use, the cover is what causes the heat. The pillow itself is pretty breathable. So what I would do, because it's Velcro, you can remove that from there and use like medical bandages, like the stretchy ones, and those are more breathable. And you can wrap just the pillow with the medical bandage and it'll keep your horse's legs from sweating as much during the summer. I will definitely use that. <laughs> yeah. You just want to make sure that you get the stretchy, you don't want polo wraps because polo wraps will make them hot too. You want the medical bandages that are kind of thick and really thin, but stretchy. So you can still apply that pressure, but it's still really breathable and that'll make a big difference for you. I love that. Yeah. Like Callie, I was nervous to use them in the summertime just because it's so stinking hot, but I'll definitely use that hack. I love that. Yeah. Our next thing is rope halters versus bronc halters. What do y'all think about that? Madison, Callie. Oh. I train a lot um, at my place, so I use, like, those four-knot rope halters, but I don't ever use, like, a bronc halter taking photos or something. Yeah, like, the knots just get in their pressure points, and it's really, it's it's helpful. Yeah, for tra training. But I'll use, like, trailering, because you don't want those, those pressure points trailering. We use both. I think all of our horses on their stalls have both, because when we have a walker, and I don't really feel comfortable with the rope halter on those walkers with our young horses because they will sit back occasionally. And when they do, I've seen it twist around and it just creates a wreck. And for those reasons, I like having a bronc halter that has the little ring at the bottom to hook onto. But when we're just traveling or we have them tied up to saddle at the house, we use rope halters. What do you use, Claire? I've never tried a bronc halter, but we use rope halters just because, like Madison said, it hits those pressure points. So I have one mare that just loves to be in your space. Like she just wants to snuggle and be pet all the time. And it's annoying when you're walking and she's like, right here. So when I have those pressure points to kind of back her up or get her off of me, even like if it was a dangerous situation, you want them to react quickly. So I'm a rope halter girl, but I've never tried a bronc halter. Yeah, I think it's situational. Depends on the horse for sure. Um, you know, it's just like if you think about something on your own nose, like if somebody was pulling on it, how responsive would you be to something that's skinny and narrow with some little dots on it or something wide? You know, if you think about that on your own nose, it's kind of how it relates. But I personally like rope halters. I think if a horse is going to set back, for me personally, then it's kind of like a, hey, get back up there type of deal. And, the you know, I work with a lot of people with ponies and kids and stuff like that. And so I think something that's got a little bit more bite to it can 
be helpful when used correctly, but if you're going to be pulling your horse around and stuff, like little kids like to pull their horses and their ponies around sometimes, then just be cautious of the scenario that you're using it and the horse that you're using it on. Some horses don't need the rope nose halters with the knots because they are sensitive enough and broke enough and quiet enough. And others really need the extra support and little discipline leverage to get back and respect your bubble. So I don't mind either. I'm not a huge fan of the buckle halters anymore. That just like the nylon buckle halters. I kind of prefer the rope halters because you can make them tighter and they will have a little bit more give if a horse does get in an accident. I feel like they can stretch out a little bit more than those nylon halters, but that's just me. Yeah, for sure. Um, our next thing is splint boots versus polo. Mm, the never- big debate. It's always use splint boots, so I don't really have much of a controversial opinion on it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that polo boots are like way better than splint boots, but I we only use splint boots because we don't really know how to wrap the polo wraps correctly. Because if you don't, you could like get bowed tendons or whatever like that if you don't wrap them correctly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've always been splint people. We'll use polos to wrap legs when we're medicating and stuff. Yeah. Um, pull, as you're talking about, like polo wraps can bow a tendon. The trick to that is you always want to wrap to the inside of the leg, no matter what, just like your splint boots, your splint boots go to the inside of the leg and then to the outside and under to the inside and out. It's the same thing with your polo wraps. You want to make sure that you do that. And you want to like the way that I was taught to do it anyways, you just start in the middle and you go up and then you go back down and then you wrap a couple times around the fetlock to create that support. The one thing about leg boots that's interesting is that if you do a lot of research, there isn't much research on leg boots themselves and the need for them. The The biggest thing it, in my experience and the research that I've done in like the performance pony company leg boots and stuff like that is the purpose of a leg boot or a polo wrap is to provide a little extra support so that you don't hyper extend the fetlock when that horse steps down or if they were to step in a hole or in a footprint or something like that while you are in a rodeo arena or on a run that they don't step down and overextend those ligaments and tendons that run down the back of their legs. So that's why when I, we look at our leg boots, they cradle the bottom of the fetlock. And that's one thing that I see people who are putting leg boots on for the first time, they don't really understand the purpose of the strap that goes underneath. And so sometimes they'll just wrap it around the backside of it. Well, that's not really providing any extra support. So you want to make sure that it goes kind of underneath and cradles that fetlock up. And then the other part of it is just if your horse were to trip or slip or something like that, then it's to prevent the percussion of, you know, a hoof hitting the bone um, to prevent bruising and stuff like that. The I think that the polo wraps are better if you know that your horse has had a certain kind of injury and needs a little extra support in one place or another. You have a lot more control with that with a polo wrap than you do with a leg boot. You can also snug them up a little bit more than you can with a leg boot per se, and it'll mold to their legs a little bit better. I think with some leg boots, they have the little, oh, the little extension deal where it goes between their ligaments or the bones or a little space. You know, I don't exactly know what that space is in the back of their leg. And I don't really love that because that can be different on every horse. So you get a medium-sized boot you can really 
change what a medium looks like on a horse. Maybe you get a medium because they don't have long legs, but maybe they're thick around, you know, just like people, horses and ponies are built in a lot of different ways and shapes. And so I don't love the ones that have that. I guess I don't super have a preference. I think for stopping and stuff, I like to have the leg boots personally more than like, you know, the leather ones that they'll put on the back that just have the cups on the back for stopping the skid boots, I think is what they call them. I prefer the neoprene over the skid boot because I do think that the neoprene leg boot does when those horses go to stop, you're going to go through more of them, but you don't get the dirt and the grime and the grit in between them. And also every skid boot that I've had over time will wear like sores on my horse's back legs. So I don't love skid boots personally. I would, for barrel racing, if I was going super competitive, I'd probably use leg boots most of the time. But if I knew my horse had an injury or something specific, then I would use polar wraps. I'm a last minute girl too. I don't put them on till like right before my run. So the splint boots allow me to do that. <laughs> Versus the polo wraps. Yeah. And I think that's important. One mistake that I see a lot of people make is they put those leg boots on uh, right away. You know, they get on and it's okay to put them on and warm your horse up in them. But if you're going to work your horse and stuff, like I'll have clinics and the girls or boys, they'll put their skid boots on or their leg boots on first thing in the morning and expect to leave those on for two, three, four hours. Well, you don't like having knee braces or stuff like that on for that long because they get hot, they get sweaty, stuff gets in them, they get itchy, they get irritated. Well, you put a horse on dirt and then you keep them on for hours at a time. Like, yeah, that's going to be uncomfortable for them. Not only that, but you're adding extra heat to their ligaments and tendons that's unnecessary. You want that body temperature to be even throughout the leg and you want them to warm up. Just like if I go and I put a leg boot on my leg well, or, or a something that's going to create heat, like in my calf, let's say, well, then those muscles are going to have more heat and they're going to be able to stretch more than the muscles and the ligaments and tendons around them. So sometimes we can do more damage than good by having leg boots on for long periods of time, rather than just doing like what Claire said, all right, my horse is warmed up. Now I'm going to put this on just for extra protection. And then as soon as we're done um, with our run and that high speed level of activity, then we want to take them off. Yeah, for sure. Thing that I want to add to um, when it comes to leg boots, polar wraps, all of that kind of stuff. I know I used to be like super sensitive about my horses and like, I was always worried about them getting hurt or not being able to adjust to the terrain or things like that. And then I started running in the mountains um, a lot and I was on a lot of rocks and just crazy paths. Like I kind of did some crazy stuff that I probably shouldn't have done, but I did it anyway. And one thing that I learned, like just in the human body that really helped me respect horses and the way that they move one, they've got four feet Two, they're outside all day, every day, navigating the world. It's not, they're not like us where we have perfectly groomed carpet and concrete and all of that kind of stuff. And like, I just realized like how flexible and adjust, like how my body adjusted and my ankles and how they would bend and twist and turn for different terrains. And I never got injured. And that gave me a whole new respect for my horses and their ability to flex and bend and mold and how their feet change and all of that kind of stuff that goes into them being athletes. And I became a little bit less protective and realized that it's important to put them in situations in a slow motion where they do learn how to move their feet so that we're not constantly trying to bubble wrap them and think that they're going to get hurt all the time because then they are. We kind of need them to toughen up a little bit, just like ourselves, but they can handle it. I've never thought about it like that. 
so cool. Yeah. Okay. On to the neoprene versus mohair. Okay. What are y'all's thoughts? Well, I only use mohair, like mohair 100%. But, well, just because, like, I think that the neoprene will, like, stick to the sweaty horse's belly and cause sores. I'm a full yeah. neoprene person, so that's opposite end of the spectrum. But, I mean, I don't have anything against mohair. I just, the neoprene, to me, the way ours are built, they've distributed the pressure, which I know is a big thing with saddle fit that you really don't want a single point to have more pressure than others. And I haven't really had sores on any of our horses, so I don't have a reason to be against them at the moment. That's just what we've always used. I'm the same. I've always used neoprene. And I mean, people say they get sores with them and some horses do, but I've never experienced that. So it's always worked for us. And like you said, it distributes the pressure evenly. So I like that. It works for me. So I'll keep using it until it doesn't. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm with Madison. I personally only use mohair. I used to use neoprene and stuff. And I, I definitely do think it depends on the quality of your cinch. There are cheap neoprene cinches out there that are going to give your horses a pony source. Guaranteed every time. Like I can think of three brands right now that you're wasting your money. They're cheap. Um, they aren't solid all the way through the like there's extra neoprene that hangs over the part that absorbs the pressure like you guys are talking about or distributes the pressure and that's the part that creates the rubbing um from my experience anyway and I like the mohair um the way that it's that I've learned about it is one it's more a more natural feel for the horse because you've got hair on hair um it absorbs sweat better so it's going to create less slippage um than what a neoprene one would, um, because neoprene doesn't really absorb the sweat as much as what your mohair is. And I think that mohair cinches do equally distribute the pressure. I'm I'm a fan of roper cinches versus straight cinches. I mean, I've used both, but that roper cinch that has like the triangle in the center, there's going to be more strands and it's going to cover a wider area. So you're going to have it wider across, so they call it Underneath of their belly, they have their heart points, which is kind of where that cinch is between their legs where it sits. So you've got that more evenly distributed across that. And some of our horses with bigger bellies, they'll really push those forward and kind of get them to roll around. So I'm I'm a big fan of the mohair roper cinch. But again, I'm not totally against neoprene cinches. I've used them, but I just do think it depends on the quality. I think there's also wool cinches out there that some people really like to use and or wool fleece, that kind of stuff that they put on them. I know there's a girl that used to have a super nice horse and that's really all that she could run it in. So I think you got to know your horse, know their skin type and just be really sensitive as to running your hand down those places and making sure that they, even if they're not showing sores, sometimes they might still be sore. Um, So just being cautious of that and aware of it is important. Interesting. I may have to try to move her since now. <laughs> the next thing is breast collars. Do y'all, are y'all like particular about always having one on or is there certain times that you don't use one? I mean, I only use a breast collar for breakaway and team roping and then I take it off for burrows and pulls. That's what I do. I use a breast collar on all my horses, all my events, but where it comes between I like the look of it and how necessary it is in that moment. I mean, that's kind of blurry because I have like my rope horse, 
definitely I would rather have a breast collar on him just because he's a weird shape and I've had my saddle it'll slip back a little bit if I'm not careful so I really like having a breast collar on him but my other two horses it's just kind of there as a precaution. I'm the same way if I'm going on a trail ride I don't necessarily put one on if I'm going to make a run or going to work them I usually just put one on. You guys are asking all the tack questions and I own a tack shop so i have quite a few answers to this and strong opinions on breast collars at least. I think it's really important to have a breast collar on. Uh, to me, it's a safety net. So like if you think of when you're full strider, when your horse is full strider, if you think of a thoroughbred, when they stretch out completely, then their body's going to narrow up. And so even if your saddle is pulled super tight, there's still a chance for it to slip. And there's also a chance if for whatever reason your cinch were to break, and you don't have a breast collar on, then your saddle is out the back. Um, or if your horse slips or something like that, and you don't have that breast collar on, and your saddle starts to slip one direction or the other, and you don't have a breast collar on, then there's nothing to keep that saddle except your horse's withers in place. Also, like Claire, when you're talking about trail riding, well, if you trail ride for three or four hours, your horse is going to get a little dehydrated, and your saddle is going to start slipping. And if you're going up or down hills, that saddle is going to go backwards or forwards. Uh, you know, ideally, if you have a horse and your saddle fits right, then it's not a problem. But when you get into those situations where you need it, then you really need it. Uh, you know, team roping, definitely, if you're heading um, or if you're roping out in the pasture, because the whole purpose of it is to keep your saddle from sliding back too far. So um, you do want to make sure to have it in for that. On ponies and stuff that, you know, have, or horses that have really mutton backs and your saddles tend to slip a little and it's hard to fit those ponies and horses. I think it's good to have breast collars there too. More for the safety purpose, it's not necessarily going to prevent or the saddle from slipping, but it will prevent it from going all the way underneath of the horse or pony if something were to break or if they were to slip or slide or if your cinch were to become too loose. So I personally am a big fan of breast collars. I do like the way they look too, but I just, I think there's, you don't need them until you really need them. And then when you need them, you really need them. So I just prefer to have them on there for, they weigh a pound, two pounds, you know? So for people who, you know, some, some of our Betty Barrel Racers are trying to take every single last ounce off. And I definitely appreciate that. But I think for the safety aspect of it, it's worth it to have an extra pound on there. Better to have it and not need it than to not need it and wait. I didn't say that right. The need it not have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you picked up one. <laughs> the next thing is worth the hype. What are y'all's thoughts on tailbacks? I personally always have my horses tails and bag. Yeah, tails and bags just because we have barbed wire on our fence. And when they swat flies, mm. you'll see chunks of hair on the barbed wire. And my I have one mare is hurt right now. So she's in the pasture and the sun is like bleaching her tail and it's making it so, so the tailback has really helped out her tail a lot. And then it's really just the barbed wire. It like rips out chunks of their hair and it makes me so mad. So the tailbags help it out a lot. Well, I only use tailback on my, on my three-year-old. She is like three quarters white and her tail gets absolutely like disgusting, like the white part of it. So when I keep it in there, it keeps really clean, but my others, I just don't use a tail bag. I don't have barbed wire either, so. Yeah, we have barbed wire, but I haven't, I mean, 
I've seen where horses have gotten their tails caught, but it's not a huge issue for us that I've noticed. I keep it on more just for the cosmetic factor. Like I like their tails to be clean and it makes, it cuts grooming time in half when you're not having to wash all the mud out of it, especially with all the rain we've gotten. The mud has been bad. I, I mean, they do what they're supposed to. I don't know that they necessarily make it grow. Well, the idea is for it to keep the tails thicker towards the bottom so that your horses aren't stepping on them and ripping that hair at the bottom out and keeping it from having too much breakage. I don't know how I feel about them. I mean, I like them. I use them. Either way, I don't know that, that I'd be like, you have to have one. I don't really have a strong opinion on it. I don't really use tail bags. The one thing that I like is the idea of horses being able to use their tails to swat flies. I like my horses to have nice tails. Like I brush them a lot and stuff and I try to wash them and keep them clean. But I don't know. I think God gave them tails to swat flies. And if we got them wrapped up, then can't swat flies as well. But I do know that there are tail bags out there that have you know, things on them to really help them swap those flies. But I know I hate getting bit by flies and I hate watching my horses stop and then I get bit by flies too. So I leave them unbagged. Yes, ma'am. So tried and true, like tips and tricks and hacks, like maybe some unique hacks y'all have. I know Madison made a TikTok one time about aloe and water. So I'm interested in that. What's, what's all that for? I've heard about it, but I don't know a lot about it. Explanation. Yes. <laughs> um okay so so owl has um like anti-inflammatory anti that or antibacterial wound healing properties too but i use aloe to calm my horse's stomach before and after trailering and running so i've heard that people put aloe in their feed because it increases stamina and performance it also reduces the effects of stress placed on the horse too. So aloe contains a large amount of digestible fiber to protect uh, the digestive system or the digestive tract. So it also helps some of my other horses with like soothing ulcers too. Yeah. And I, I do put it in my feed and water. I am a big, yeah, I'm a big aloe user. I have had personally acid reflux since I was like, I had a hole in my esophagus when I was in first grade. And so I'm sensitive to like the idea of that kind of stuff. And I do know that there are lots of studies out there that prove that aloe is very helpful in coating the stomach as Madison was kind of talking about and for ulcers and digestive type of stuff. So I've used aloe for a long time, especially in my performance horses that are traveling a lot, but I did learn something interesting. I don't have it with me right now, but I learned something interesting when I was at the Midwest Horse Fair in Madison, Wisconsin. There was a company there that had aloe stuff that they were selling. And I had always just gone to Walmart and bought the aloe that was there that you can pump out, throw it on there. Well, I learned later that that's like got such a small percentage of aloe in it. Like it's certainly not hurting your horses to use that, but um, I was kind of wasting my money because it doesn't really have enough in it. And then this other product, it's like 26 bucks and it lasts 30 days or something like that. Maybe longer than that. Um, you just give them a cap full every day. You can give them two cap fulls and it's like 138% more aloe in it than what the Walmart brand has or what the other brands have. So that was really interesting to learn about that. And so I had a horse um, that it's the horse that I rope on and earlier this year, like he just didn't act himself. Like even out in the past year, he just kind of acted kind of dumpy as his hair coat was kind of 
just not really doing what it needed to do and wasn't very shiny and stuff. And so after talking to these people, I thought, well, I'll just try it out and, you know, can't hurt anything. What's 30 bucks for an ulcer treatment type of deal. And within a week of giving it to him, like he, his coat was looking better. He had more pep in his step, just the color and his eyes came back. And so I'm a big fan of aloe for ulcers, for digestion, for everything that Madison's talking about. I think it's a very cheap, very natural resource to utilize for your horses that doesn't cost a lot. And you said y'all put it in the water or the feed? Well, I put it in both because mm-hmm. my horse is a big drinker, so I don't have to like worry about like dumping out some aloe in his bucket because he drinks the whole thing i've never put it in my water that's the first time i've seen that that madison did that um that's a really good idea i usually just put it in my feed or if i know i'm gonna go compete or be gone for a long time or i'm just getting off the road and i want to help the horses then i'll just put it in a syringe and give it to them kylie do you have any experience with that i do not that's why i was so excited to hear about it is just see what other people's experiences were with it I know I used to drink, they make like bottles of aloe that are I flavored. love that stuff. Yeah, I love it. I used to drink it a lot. I don't anymore. I guess we can't really find it around here as much, but it used to be a big thing. And I know at my grandma's house, she always had the fridge stocked with it. And if you can get past the texture, I really enjoyed it because it's got kind of like pulp, I guess. I yeah. like the pulp because like you'd bite into it and it like it's like those little explosions in your mouth of like this so jelly like stuff. Boba tea and stuff, you would like aloe, I guess. I would think that's how that could work. But it's kind of like there's little pearls in it of aloe. So go out and try it if you have it. Interesting. Listen I meant both my horses and I on aloe. <laughs> Keep you both away from ulcers we could we could <laughs> the next yeah. thing is Vicks and horses noses I know people put it in the rim to like open up their airway I've personally never tried that but I don't know if y'all had or had experience with it um I've seen it a lot like I've seen people do it but I I personally use um it's called air power so it's an all-natural formula that has like honey, eucalyptus oil, lemon juice, aloe, and apple cider vinegar. And that really helps my horses um, breathe better. I just get like, I don't know, seven cc maybe of it and shoot it down their throat and he's good all day. Yeah. I know respiratory wise, we use Equipulum, just a syringe down their throat. But when we go Okay, so I know I put that one on the list. The Vicks thing, my mom used swears by it, but they have the they have two different rattlesnake roundups around us, and they have a rodeo in conjunction with it. So a rattlesnake roundup, if y'all do y'all know what that is? Mm-mm. Not a thing around there. Um, so everyone thankfully goes we don't yeah. have rattlesnakes. <laughs> well. They're good snakes, they're bad snakes. They, every, it's like a competition who can kill the biggest rattlesnake. And they bring it and they put them in like this big pit and stuff. And it's a whole thing. But they do one in Sweetwater and they do one in Lomita, which is right by us. And when you, they have the rodeo the week after the roundup in Lomita. And there's a smell that rattlesnakes have. 
and horses can smell it and it like you can tell horses that don't like the smell of it will just act crazy because they're scared that there's a rattlesnake by them because they can smell it you know sense that and we put Vicks in their nose to kind of mask that smell when we run there so they don't smell the rattlesnakes I really was curious what when you said like the Vicks in the nose and then rattlesnakes I'm like what in the world is this this is going I was thinking maybe rattlesnakes in your pasture and I was like maybe the snakes don't like vapor rub like maybe it deters snakes I don't know that's what I was thinking that you meant but now I get it it's it keeps the horses from being overreactive to the snakes smell yeah because they are dead snakes and you don't want them to think that there's like a herd of snakes coming to get them yeah, yeah. I do not like snakes I think but- they need to switch the events maybe I'm <laughs> rodeo first and then the rattlesnake round yeah. and as much as people complain about it too Interesting. Mm-hmm. I've never really had a horse that re- reacts to it. I've given them the chance because we do the Vicks thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. I've never used Vicks in their nose before, but I know that as you were talking, Callie, something that I don't know what it's called that we give them before we run. I can't think of what that supplement's called, but same deal. You give them a syringe before you run to kind of help them open up everything. I personally don't use like airway supplements. Do y'all like, is that something you do before every round? And then if my horse is having trouble, like I have a horse that has some respiratory issues and I'll give her a syringe of it before, if I know I'm going to have a long practice that day or if it's really dusty, I'll do it at home as well. Yeah, I give um, like the six or seven um, cc's of air power like right before we run and it helps it, it'll like keep on going till the whole rodeo practice is done that's what we used to madison that's oh, what it's called yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think it can depend too on your climate um you know if it's really humid and stuff and the air is really heavy i think it's helpful to give them that kind of stuff um i think more important than any supplements though and this is i, I don't remember where i heard this from but it was just a real eye opener that, um, you know, horses on a track, they exercise those suckers a lot. And like, we have a huge bleeding problem in our industry. And I think a lot of it just comes down to our horses aren't in good enough shape. And if we think about how we perform, like if we're a sprinter for track or if we're playing basketball where we're doing quick movements and we're getting in shape for that kind of stuff. I've always been interested to know because I don't, I've never seen a study about this. I'm sure it's out there, but I just need to look deeper. Like, why do we in the barrel racing, roping, all of that world, why do we go long trot our horses for miles when they're expected to perform in sprints? You know, like, why don't we prepare them? Like, I know for myself, you know, I work with Andy Wolf and my workouts, because I'm doing break breakaway workouts or roping workouts, my goal is to perform in under 10 seconds every time, you know, hopefully under three seconds with the roping and under 10 seconds in the team roping. So the workouts that I do, like he, when I first met Andy, I was training for a half marathon in, in the very first podcast I did with him, I found him on Instagram and he said a half marathon. He said, wow. That's a really cool like accomplishment, but why? Why are you running 13 miles? 
And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, it just seems like a really good idea. I'll be like, I feel like I'm in really good shape and I can run really far. And like, it's good for my mental stamina and all that kind of stuff. He's like, well, yeah, that's all cool. He said, but how long do you compete in a rodeo arena? I was like, well, shoot, you know, even on a standard pattern, you're hoping that you're 18 seconds or under. I mean, most places in Iowa that we're going to compete are 16 seconds and under and the breakaway over three seconds and under team rope and eight seconds and under you know and I kind of went through that and he goes and why would you run 13 miles and I was like okay I get it like you know it it made sense when he phrased it that way and like our muscle systems and, and maybe horses are different like I don't think that long training them is bad for them but neither is me jogging two miles but is it necessarily what we need for our horses and stuff so our horses systems like humans we have fast switch fibers and I don't know if they call them long switch fibers but like our sprinters our quick athletes like we work on our fast switch muscles because we need those muscles to react quickly and we need our energy systems we can train our energy systems to release fast bursts of energy like a lot of energy really quick well when you're training for endurance then you train your muscles to release slowly over time and the energy to release slowly over time so that you can go long distances. That's why sprinters can't run half marathons and marathoners aren't fast sprinters because they are training their body completely different. So sometimes I wonder if in the the rodeo world and the Western industry, if we're not training our horses wrong because we go long trot them and then we lope them in a bunch of circles. And I mean, I don't sprint my horses very often. So maybe doing more of that kind of stuff. And again, I don't think that the supplements hurt. I think that kind of stuff is helpful. But I also wonder sometimes when we're opening up those airways that haven't been trained to to have that kind of air or that kind of expulsion, except when they run barrels or poles or go out of the box in the breakaway, are we opening up things that might cause more damage in the long run? Because we're giving them a false sense of security and ability because they're not actually trained for it. Well, I'm not a scientist. (laughs) That'd be definitely something to look into. Like you said, like the conditioning aspect, like we long trot low, but I know a lot of people go to like race tracks and just let their horse run, but maybe that's the ticket. Yeah, they breathe horses. Yeah. What was that, Callie? Like breathing horses, like what we yeah. call it. Yeah. 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 And even doing like more wall work and stuff like that. Like my mom's been doing a really good job of that with her horses. And we used to do that all the time, but I know I personally have gotten away from it. And I thought about it often, but I'm like, I don't really know if that's true or not for horses. So I would think that it would be though, whatever we train them to do. But if we're, if we're exercising them on a daily basis to go long distances or, you know, for minutes at a time, and then we expect them to have quick bursts of energy, are we kind of counterproductive in our workouts? Yeah, that's really interesting to look into. Yeah. So if you guys decide to become scientists, you can run some science on it. (laughs) So my last question is, um... What are y'all's favorite detanglers, like conditioner sprays? Or like hacks for that? I'm a Cowboy Magic fan. The stuff, for sure. Works. Yeah. I mean, I don't really use anything, but just like a body brush and like start from the end to the top. It doesn't really get um, naughty, really. Yeah. In the past couple months, I switched to um, a conditioner concentrate. 
So you use like one ounce to like eight eight parts water, and uh-huh. that's so well. Like that's the best thing I found, and it lasts like a year because it's in like this big bottle of concentrate, and you use like one little ounce. But um, yeah, that's been awesome. I've loved that. Yeah, we use a concentrate as well. Mm-hmm. One thing, a trick that I learned, um, we were talking about like mane and tail growth. I used to live with a barrel horse trainer who was also a hairdresser and she swore by getting like cheap conditioner. And after you um, wash your horse's mane and tails out every day, she would take like suave or something like that. And she would just run a little bit of it down their mane and in their tail and like massage it into like the tail head and all of that. And then into the mane, like where it grows and stuff. And then kind of throughout that. And then she would just leave that in. And she swore by that and her horses all had thick manes and tails and it wasn't very expensive. And so, I don't know, I do still try to do it sometimes, but it hasn't been that warm here. So I haven't, and I haven't been home much lately, so I haven't washed my horses off a lot. So I haven't done it recently, but um, certainly don't think it hurts and it's cheap. Yeah, I started doing that as well. I guess a couple months ago, I'd seen a YouTube video of, these train I think it was cutting trainers which they have gorgeous mane and tail and mm-hmm. like you don't need to buy the high dollar stuff we just use suave on our horses and so it's like oh well I mean it can't hurt to try that for like two dollars a bottle and yeah. they smell good ours is like coconut scented mm-hmm. they're horses but when you're washing them it smells good and I've been using that lately and they're soft as can be. So mm-hmm. I would recommend it if you're looking for just a cheaper way to do it. Yeah. Oh, so, so you don't put it on the tips of their mane and tail? I only do that like this much. Just on the tips. I mean, I put about, I would say more than a quarter sized bit in my hand and just kind of rub it together and kind of run my hands through their mane and tails and I've done both I've washed it out when I'm done and then I've also left it in when I especially when I'm gonna bag their tails later I'll just leave it in and let it dry in and it it doesn't show like it doesn't leave flakes or anything definitely to try that glad to know that the cheap stuff works (laughs) yeah I always just take my brush like my mane and tail brush and I just put it on the brush and then I put it through there so that I don't want to have it on my hands and stuff and that seems to work pretty well Hmm. Mm do y'all have any other like life hacks for horses or rodeo hacks that y'all do okay I'm curious Claire did you try the bucket or the basket thing I did I got a laundry basket and I brought it to Texas and I loved it I wow. did. It was, I saw that on TikTok and I was like, why have I never thought of this? This is the best thing ever. And I loved it. And then anything that's dirty, it just falls through. Like it doesn't get gross. And it's huge. You can carry it so much. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> that happened so randomly because that was, I, we had a broken one. The one I'm using, I think, it's like one of the parts, the little holes is kind of broken. And we had been using it as a laundry basket. And I came in to wash my boots one day because one of them was like really bad, just in the sink. And I put all my boots in the laundry basket we had sitting in the garage. And then I took them back down there and I just never brought the laundry basket back. And it stayed in the trailer and I started hooking my spurs on it and it just became what it is now. But 
I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool idea. One other thing that, well, I've got two things. One thing, like if your latigo is hanging down, like, you know how, when you, you cinch up your horse and then a lot of times you go from the outside of your horse towards the inside, when you go through the keeper, you know what I'm talking about? To pull it tight. And then over time that will work itself out. Well, I learned this when I worked at Stellbine that you can take it and you can run your latigo, the extra that's left over, run it through the back, like towards your horse. Um, and then you go up and then you loop it. So you make a little bubble and then you go back inside the slot so that you have a little bubble so that it can't come loose. That's one trick. And then uh, one other thing about tack that I have a conversation about often is back cinches. That can be kind of a topic of controversy as well. And so I just want to share my opinion on that. I think that if you have a horse that's sensitive and you can't use a back cinch on them because they get bronchi, either take them to the round pen and flank them until they quit bucking, if you're comfortable doing that kind of thing, or take the back cinch off completely. One of my personal biggest pet peeves is having a back cinch that is loose because one, it's not doing any good flopping around on the back. Two, the purpose of a back cinch. So especially if you're like healing or you're roping calves or anything that's going to pull your saddle forward. So the back cinch keeps the back of it down so that it doesn't pop up and so that it keeps that saddle and distributes the weight evenly during that pulling process. If you're going up and down hills and stuff and you're trail riding, then it helps keep the back of the saddle down. And again, everything evenly distributed, including the weight of the rider so that it's not all going on the front cinch and the shoulders. So you can kind of sit back and stuff and that saddle's not popping forward. Uh, when you're running barrels and poles and stuff that your horse needs to bend, my mom and I kind of have differing, I think it depends on the size of your saddle, but um, I think for that kind of stuff, I think it is okay to take your back cinch off rather than have it on because then your horse can bend and move underneath that saddle just a little bit more. Uh, but having it hang loose is dangerous, in my opinion, especially if you're riding long distances, like on trail rides. I know that your saddle, you know, your horses do get kind of sucked up in the back end and dehydrated, so it will hang down a little. But if you're going down a hill, if your horse is swatting flies, if you happen to trip or your horse tries to lay down in a river or anything like that, you risk that horse getting their foot stuck in that back cinch. And a lot of people are going to listen to this. They're going to say, oh, I've done this my entire life and nothing's ever happened. Well, it's kind of one of those deals, just like the breath collar. It only takes once for it to be a really big problem and a big issue. And if a horse gets their foot stuck in a back cinch, that back cinch is not going to give, like, unless you have really poor leather, but you've got a big accident waiting on your hands. If you have a big gap in your back cinch. And also if you're in the timber, especially, you can get twigs and trees and sticks and stuff like that stuck up in there. I have seen that happen, and that can be a huge disaster as well. So either don't wear a back cinch or have it snugged up. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I was at a roping camp this past week, and we had Jet Jackson, who works, he's been fitting saddles for NRS for a few years, and he just talked us through how his setup works for tie-down roping, and he was talking about the back cinch in the same way and he preached that it needs to be tight because you don't want it to roll forward and pinch that horse and create a problem spot in their withers mm -hmm. or anything yeah and 
like that's something I've really tried to make sure all my saddles were really distributing that pressure and not causing sore points or problem spots. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to saddle fit, we've talked about that or mentioned it a couple of times. It's so important, you know, like I know a lot of people will say, well, uh, my kid might outgrow this saddle right away, or I don't know. That's usually the biggest one that I hear. My kid's going to outgrow this saddle, so I'm not going to spend a lot of money on it. Well, by not, you can usually find a decent saddle between, I. it's very seldom, I believe right now that you find a decent saddle for $500 or less. Like if you do, you're lucky. I would expect to pay five to $1,500 on a good quality saddle for a kid, for an adult, for anybody. And that's a used one. Um, over that, you're looking at, you know, a new saddle is going to cost you anywhere from two to 10,000, depending on what kind you want. Um, but I think that it is really important. It's just like a car, you know, you want to make sure that the car that you put your kid in is safe and that everything works on it and that the belts are tight and everything like that. Because if you don't, it only takes a little bit to make an accident. And if that saddle does not fit your horse correctly, you can have the best horse in the world and you can make that horse sore really fast. And that horse can buck your kid off, which can ruin their confidence. And they're never going to want to get on again, especially for young kids. You can ruin a horse and a rider really fast just because we didn't want to spend the extra $500. And I think we've talked about this in a podcast before. I'm not sure if you guys were there or not, but if you're willing to pay for the fuel, pay for the truck, pay for the trailer, pay for the horse, pay for the feed, pay for all of that stuff, then you should be willing to pay for a quality saddle and a quality bit to fit that horse so that your child and the rider is safe. And so that horse is safe because otherwise all you're doing is racking up more bills and vet bills, confidence, time, all of that. So spending that extra money, if you can't afford to get a decent saddle or decent tack, you shouldn't buy the horse in the first place. Like that's kind of the cold hard truth about it. Those horses deserve and your kids deserve to have good quality tack so that they can have the best experience possible. Too expensive and they're too powerful and they're too strong to not make sure that everybody's comfortable and has the best chance at success. That's my opinion. It's a strong one. I agree. I think more people need to hear that. <laughs> yeah. It's tough because I do it. Like I, I understand the idea. Like we don't want to spend a lot of money on something that might be fleeting, but you're talking animals with brains, not bikes with motors. So, and pedals makes a difference. Sure. Madison, yeah. do you have any other hacks you want to share? I do. I always keep, I don't, I don't know, like a bottle of salt and a syringe in the living quarters because I once had this horse that would not drink whatsoever in the summertime for a day not like for a long time so we would just like put some water and salt and then a syringe and wash his mouth out like probably seven times and then he would finally drink so that's that's a thing that I always keep in the trailer I've never heard of that yeah, that's that's a good hack. I love to use that one. Another one. hack for water is putting beer in their water. Beer has hops and wheat and um, stuff that horses like to eat in it. So if you can dump a can of beer in their water, they're likely to drink it. I've heard like stale beer for if they're kind of colicky. I don't know a whole lot of background on that, but it's something <laughs> you've done before because we had a horse that he had ulcers and then we went through a lot a couple rounds of EPM with him and just he had some stomach problems hmm. and that was something we used and it settled him down pretty often 
There is, um, you mentioned EPM, and I wanna, I'm checking it to make sure that I have the right supplement. Yeah, there's a supplement called Glorify. If you have a horse that you think might have EPM, it's $64. And I learned about this from uh, my Amish equine chiropractor. They use it if they have any horses that they think might have EPM. And I used it on one of my horses and it worked really, really well. And it's called Glorify, $64. You just give it to him for like a month straight. And it knocked all of his symptoms out of part. Like they were done. So that's a cool little EPM hack. If you think he said that they'll give it to their horses every now and then just we're in an area where there's lots of possums, lots of coons and like EPM can be pretty rampant here in Iowa and probably all the States that we're from. I think they're, it's more common than like out West because there aren't as many coons and possums in that part of the world. Cause there's not as much stuff for them to eat, but yeah, it's called glorify. It comes in a little thing. It's a natural herbal immune support. Uh, together with mother nature, it says. So I highly recommend using that. It's all natural and good stuff. I was going to ask, so you, you could use it as a preventative, like even if they're not showing signs. I mean, I, yeah, essentially you could, but I don't usually give my horses stuff. Like if yeah. don't fix a problem that is there, you know, yeah. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's what I was trying to think of. But if you have a horse that you think is even mildly showing symptoms, I think it's worth it to nip it before it becomes a big issue because I think most EPM medicine, like if they really have it, you're making six to six hundred to a thousand dollars to treat it. Yeah. And this stuff you just sprinkle on their feet. Yeah. There's all kinds that. of hacks out there. Yeah. I have one that we have a horse that will not take medicine. She'd bite your head off before she even thought about looking at a syringe. But we I started saving like empty tubes and I'd put applesauce in them and I did it every day. And so then now she's great about it. It's just, it worked amazing. So I would give her applesauce in a tube every day. And now she's so good about taking medicine. That's a really I good idea. That. Works really yeah. well. I wonder if like you could even use, you know, they have like those applesauce pouches now. Yeah. If you could just take the pouches and even just squeeze that in there. So they just get used to something. I guess the syringe probably makes more sense though, because it's the syringe that's scary. Well, even it was just like her mouth, but that could work. You just like stick your finger in there and some applesauce. That would work. Yeah. Oh. I like that idea. Very cool. Affecting the worst. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's one other thing that like, it's not really a hack, but something that I kind of had to come to terms with. And, and it was said to me in a way that really made more sense. And it was talking about like using like calming supplements and sedatives like ACE and, um, chlorpromazine and stuff like that. I was in Arizona and I was talking to a, one of my friends about it and he just, he had it, he shed light on it in a way that I'd never thought about it. You know, when we talk about horses that bleed and horses that are super excited and have ulcers and are anxious and stuff. And I had a young horse out there and uh, we were just talking about it. He goes, well, why don't you give him like some ACE or some chlorpromazine or something? And I said, well, I just, you know, I really try to get him to work through that kind of stuff. And he said, well, yeah, you definitely want to as best as you can, he said. But when it comes to competition, when you have a horse that is amped up and worried and making you amped up and worried before you ever go in there, if you think, especially like on a barrel horse or a pole horse where they're exerting a lot of energy really fast and for a fairly decent amount of time at a high rate of speed, if you have, if, you, if you've already spent, you know, your time warming up and then whatever the 60 seconds is before you compete, sometimes less, sometimes more that that horse is 
raring, is worried, is wanting to run off, all of the energy that that's taking right there. And then you get that horse to go into the arena, but it's already exerted all of this energy on their anxiety outside of the arena or in the box or whatever. And then you get them to go in and then you blow them around the barrels and they're giving it all they've got. And by time they get between the second and third barrel, they're out of energy, but they're still digging deeper to give everything that they've got. And that's usually when we start to see the bleeding start to happen. It doesn't usually happen when they first go in. It usually happens, you know, as they go throughout the run because they've already exerted so much energy outside of the arena in nerves and fear and doubt and worry. And it caused us to have all of that as well. And so he's just made the point that like using those kinds of things in a safe clinical way, you know, like make sure that your vet teaches you how to do it and that you give them a proper dosage, but you can really prevent a lot of issues by using something like that. One, your horse is going to build more confidence because by using something like that, then they go in and make a good run. You're less worried. You can come out and you can praise the heck out of them and you can love on them. And then you eliminate some of that fear, doubt, and worry that they have going into the arena. You're eliminating the stress, the physical stress, the emotional stress, all of that. So by using those kinds of things from time to time, the calming pace, the chlorpromazine, the ACE, using those to build up to the confidence to where you don't have to use them anymore can be very helpful. And uh, so I just want to encourage people to keep an open mind about that because I know that my mind had kind of gotten closed off. And it's also a safety aspect, especially for kids. Um, some of you guys ride some wild horses and it is one, it's not safe for the rider Two, It's not safe for uh, the horse. And three, it's not safe for anybody around you. If your horse can't go in the arena safely, the gate people, the other people on horses, the people who are willing to try to help you, um, it's just not worth it. And those horses can't talk to us. You know, we don't really always know what's going on with them. And so if we can utilize things that are safe, that are approved and all of that, and that are dosed correctly to keep everything and everybody safer, healthier, building their confidence, why wouldn't we? And so that's just something to keep in mind too. I like that a lot. On our podcast with Bailey Choate, she mentioned that a lot of people look down on just giving the the medicine or whatever, the supplement, but she mentioned like when we play sports, if we're hurting or have anxiety, like we're going to take a Tylenol or a Motrin or something like that. Or if we're sick, mm-hmm. we're going to take a medicine or whatever. So why wouldn't we do the same for our horses? You know, we don't want to push through the pain. Why would we make them? So yeah, that kind of, exactly. I kind of got closed off to it. So that kind of brought it down to a light of, you know, they're, they're doing this sport too. Like, why would we make them run in pain or anxious? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anybody had any last minute mental game hacks? One I learned through FFA is box breathing. Mm-hmm. So, in one, two, three, four, like count to four, inhaling, hold it for four counts, breathe out for four counts, and then start all, or have it out and then hold just with no air for four seconds and then breathe back in. And it really slows you down. Especially, I get really worked up about things. If I can just remember to slow my breathing down, it slows me down. It slows my thinking down and it helps me focus a lot better. I love that one. Madison, did you have anything? Nope. No mental game hacks. What about you, Claire? I don't know if it's a hack. I don't 
I don't really watch the runs ahead of me. Like, yeah, I'll be in the holding pin or something, but I used to like wait for the time of what that run was or like watch what they're doing. Now I can still be there and support my friends, but I'm not watching so intently where I'm working myself and my horse up. You know, I already have an anxious horse. So I kind of just sit there and try to think about other things and just take deep breaths. And, you know, I kind of used to dread a run when you get so anxious about it, you kind of, it's like horses, like they get anxious, you get anxious to go in the arena. So when you can kind of just sit back and like relax and take a deep breath and not overthink your run, that helped me to enjoy it a lot more and then make less mistakes. Mm, I love that. I learned that when I was in high school too, like don't listen to the times, don't worry about what anybody else did, just focus on what's in your control and every horse is different. So watching other people really isn't fair to yourself or to your horse either because you got to do different things. Yeah. Do you have another one, Callie? Um, what I've talked about before is just having a routine and that's what helps me is mm-hmm. have something before every run. Muscle memory is magical. Yes. We did a podcast with Andy Wolf a while back and I encourage people to go back and listen to those. And he talked about the difference between a routine and a ritual. And that's important too. Like you want to make sure that your routine is just steps that you take, but like a ritual is where you if I do, if I don't do this, then I'm going to fail. Well, that's not, that becomes a ritual instead of a routine. A routine is just something that programs our mind to do well. But if we miss a step, we can still perform Whereas a ritual can turn into a negative thing. So you want to be careful with that. But we talked about that on that podcast. And the last thing that I want to add is something that I just kind of put together, honestly, within the last two days. I was kind of having a a streak on my way home. I went to three rodeos and I missed all three rodeos and I was really frustrated. And I talked to a couple of different people about those frustrations to just kind of help coach me through it. And I got to thinking about like the difference between rodeo and traditional sports or basketball or softball, uh, baseball, volleyball, all of those. And, you know, in rodeo, we're pretty much playing one game all year like if we think about a basketball game let's say and they get to have how many plays in one game like I was going to do research and see the average amount of plays per game in a basketball game versus rodeo we get one shot every time like you hit a pull you're done you miss your calf you're done like you don't get to go rope another calf and try to make up for it in basketball it's no big deal if somebody misses one shot because they've got 50 more opportunities to shoot the basket you know, so just changing my mindset to like, okay, well, those are just a couple plays that I maybe didn't do right, or I didn't execute quite correctly, but I can still make it up on the next one, rather than putting so much pressure on every single thing. Like this is a game and I just failed. This is a game and I just failed. Like, rather than thinking that just like, okay, move on to the next play, move on to the next play, move on to the next play. It's just one big game. And that's taken a lot of pressure off of me. Like, oh, basketball players miss all the time you know it doesn't make them a bad basketball player just because they miss three shots in a row they just have to readjust and recalibrate recharge and go after it again for the next play so kind of a mental game hack that I'm incorporating to the rest of my summer yeah just changing your mindset Mm -hmm. yes I used to dwell on the bad runs but like you said that's it's not going to help anything. So when you think about like, there's always going to be another rodeo, there's always going to be another run. Like, don't think that failure is going to, you know, stick with you for the rest of your life. It's going to take a lot of failure to get that winning run. You know, you don't just get there. So always exactly. thinking it helps a lot. 
Yeah. There's right. some baseball quote that's like that. It's like I had a point is it point six? Is that how that works? Batting average or no point four, which means I still miss six out of ten or whatever. And mm-hmm. so it's like yeah, I was still great, but it didn't come without failure. I like that. Very good. Well, thank y'all for coming on and talking with me today. I loved hearing all the different hacks and opinions, lots of things to incorporate in my routine and think about. And add to the trailer. Yes, add to the trailer. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, girls. Good job. guys for tuning in to the Rodeo Kids podcast. It has been another wonderful episode and we just wanted to take a minute to share with you what we have next on the schedule. On July 22nd, Rodeo Kids will be doing their annual pasture golf tournament. It is super fun and it is how we raise some funds for our scholarships and our equipment and cool stuff that we have for our Rodeo Kids ambassador team. If you are interested in supporting Rodeo Kids and our efforts and what we do to support the youth in the Western industry, uh, please let us know. You can head on over to www.rodeokids.com backslash support to learn different ways to support. If you don't see something there, but you have something different in mind and a way that you would like to support or connect or cross promote with Rodeo Kids, please reach out to me, Camarie at rodeokids.com. Easier said, info at rodeokids.com, and we can try to find a way to get together and make a difference and continue to grow and support and educate others on the Western industry, rodeo, and this way of life that we love so much. Again, that's info at rodeokids.com, and you can learn more at www.rodeokids.com backslash support. We wish you guys all the best of luck, safe travels, and as always, God bless while chasing your gold buckle dreams.